So we all, we all wonder, um, we all have those things that, that tend to capture our imagination, those things that we get really curious about, um, things that we thought we knew, and then as we get older, we realize that we don't know, and so we begin to wonder. And the more we wonder about some of those things, the more um, it just kind of leads to other questions that we're going to wonder um, about. Um, every Christian, I think, at some point or another, um, wonders about heaven, about what that really is and how that's going to work. And when you start wondering about that, you start thinking about, um, you start thinking about things like uh, loved ones who have passed away and if you're going to see them again. And then that can lead into just some weird wondering, like um, what version if I do, um, is it going to be like the, the version that they were when they passed away? Is it going to be a young version? Like you can just start getting into all kind of weird things and wondering about things, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, you can, um, yeah, I wonder when I think about heaven, what the food situation is going to be. Um, it concerns me. I heard, you know, I read something about a feast, so I'd like, I'm curious as to what that menu is going to be. Um, and I'm sure it'll be cooked well. Um, I just don't know if in heaven you're going to like all the things that you didn't like. And so everything's going to be good. I don't know. And so you sit around and you worry about it and you wonder about some weird, weird things. Um, if you're not a theist, um, you wonder how the heck we can sit around and be so naive to think about something like heaven or an afterlife. But yet there's still times that even, even theists or uh, even people who aren't theists, they, they wonder if this is it, this life. And they have those questions and they think about those things. And, and so we all... We all wonder, but we do it as we've talked over the last few weeks. We do it through a frame of reference um, that we have kind of this framework that we view and filter life through um, that, that we use to understand the things that are going on. And, and our frame of reference does not give us all the answers. Nobody, nobody knows. I don't care how you're looking at the world and how good you think you're interpreting it and understanding what's going on. Nobody has all the answers because our framework is limited. Um, and our, to be quite honest, <clears throat> most of our frameworks, even if it started out as the right frame is messed up because life experiences begin to clutter it up and things that happen to you begin to clutter up and it begins to taint the way that you see and view and interpret things. Um, the personal experience, it does. And we wanna think that we're better than allowing experiences to taint the way we view and interpret things that we can get past that thing. Um, but that's practically impossible to be able to do that in life, to just let experiences slide off and not allow those things to color the way that you view and interpret um, the world. So our, our view of the world, it's impacted by those things. Our view of the world is impacted by our childhood, whether it was a good one or a bad one. You grew up being under a, a frame of reference and, and that's what you kind of inherited. Now, many of you have kind of ventured from that and left that into adulthood, but there's still influence. It's still there. It, it, it's affected you. Our fears, our insecurities, they affect the way you view and interpret the world and the circumstances that are happening around you. The people around you and the things that they're saying and their interpretations of the world, that influences you. And so none of us have a perfectly clear view as to what is actually going on. Now, Christians, we believe that God sent someone, specifically the person of Jesus, into the world to be on our side of our frame. 
so that we can have a point of reference that with all of the other things there are in life to wonder about, to be curious about, to try and figure out the things that we will learn one day, the things that we're never gonna learn, all of those things that we have to wonder about, God sent Jesus as a point of reference on our side of the frame so that of all the stuff we have to worry about, one of them is not, how does God feel about me? That that's a question we don't have to deal with because we know the answer to that question. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been in the book of Hebrews, which the writer of the book of Hebrews was addressing um, Jewish people who were following Jesus, but in a Jewish culture had found it difficult to continue on. And they were beginning to lose and abandon their faith. And in the in Hebrews, the writer writes, there's a fix for this. There's a reason you're losing your faith. Here's what you need to do. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Because that's where the whole thing started. It calls him the author of our faith. That's where it started. And you need to not fix your eyes on what's happening around you, your circumstances, your ability to be able to see God in or circumstances, because that's where so many of us get caught up. Things are going on, we don't understand. We're like, well, God's gotta be in it. And when we can't find God, things start to get shaky. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, if you find yourself wondering about your faith and this whole Christian thing, perhaps you know, you've left the faith. Perhaps you're thinking about leaving the faith. My question throughout this series has been, that thing that has become shaky, that thing that you've either left at one point or are thinking about leaving or wondering if it's even legit anymore, what is that based on? What is that faith, that thing that you're thinking about leaving, that thing that isn't working anymore? What is that fixed or fastened to? Now today to wrap up this series, I, I wanna talk about an obstacle um, that gets in the way um, of many people either reconsidering Jesus if they've been a part of that or people who have never been a part of Christianity considering Jesus in the first place. Now there's an assumption out there um, that goes something like this. And this may be a thought that you've had from time to time, <clears throat> um, but maybe not in these exact words, but there's an assumption out there that, that Christianity requires mind-numbing, experience-denying faith. That if you're gonna be a Christian, that you have got, that you have got to have a, a, a mind-numbing, means there are things that I just can't think about. And there are things that if I do think about them or I look at them, I can't look at them too closely because if I look at them too closely, everything starts to fall apart with my faith because they don't match up and it's not how it works and I, I don't get it. If I focus on these things too much, my faith will begin to erode. So I just got to kind of shut my mind off and numb myself to it and that. There's the idea that Christianity requires that, that mind numbing, experience denying meaning I have to pretend. If I wanna stay with this Christian framework and this view of faith, I have to pretend that that didn't just happen in the world or that that didn't happen uh, to me or it didn't happen to my sister or to my brother or to my best friend. And so there's this idea out there that if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to turn your mind off to certain things and you have to just kind of deny that other things are happening because if you recognize those things, the framework of your faith will begin to erode away. Now, here's what I want you to know. The original version of the faith, that was, the followers did not do that. They did not turn off their mind. 
They did not pretend things weren't happening. Jesus's original followers never pretended things were better than they were. And if you go back and you look at the story of the, of the followers of Jesus and the ones who were responsible for getting the Christian message out of the first century, they did not have good circumstances surrounding them almost ever. They were always in danger. They were being chased. They were being hunted. Most of them were killed for their faith. And they never pretended that that wasn't happening. And Jesus never asked his followers ever to look or to pretend or to just believe in something for the sake of belief. In fact, as we saw last week, if you were here, Jesus actually got to a point where he said to him, he said, don't believe me just because I say, believe me. He says to his followers, believe me because of what you've seen with me. Believe me because of what you've experienced with me. Look at the evidence, the experience, the works themselves is how Jesus put it. And the reason that so many people find it difficult to follow Christianity and assume that it's just a mind numbing experience, denying thing is because there's a misunderstanding of the word faith. There's a misunderstanding of the word faith. And the reason that the misunderstanding exists, um, not completely, but a big part of it is because pastors and church leaders and guys like me um, have made faith complicated and confusing. We've made it way more difficult than it was tended to be. So I wanna wrap up by talking about the idea of what really is faith and how does that play a role in Christianity? So to get started on it, I, I wanna say what faith is not because there's a lot of confusion around this. Faith is not some sort of force or power, right? Faith is not this invisible lasso that we swing around and then hook around God and get him to do our thing. And if we just, uh, if we have enough faith that we can get together with enough other people who have enough faith and we can just faith and we can convince God to do something God was not intending to do. And perhaps maybe that, that was that idea of faith is maybe why some of you walked away. Because maybe, maybe, maybe you had something going on and it was a serious something. And you believed and you prayed and you had faith. And the pastor came and visited or came to the hospital and he believed or she believed and prayed and had faith. And everybody in the prayer circle and everybody in the church believed and prayed. And people got up over the issue and they prayed loud prayers and bold prayers and powerful prayers. Prayers that God didn't answer. Prayers that did not go the way that anybody who was praying wanted them to go. And because of that, you begin to wonder if there's kind of a God at all. And it seems like it's just this, this force and this, this, this power. And in fact, there's been situations to where people, are, you know, people pray for something and it doesn't happen. And there have been faith leaders who've looked at them and said, the reason that your prayer wasn't answered is because you didn't have enough faith. That's not faith. Trying to gin up some kind of energy or force to force God's hand to make something happen, that's not faith. That's more, like, that's more like magic. 
That's more like what the, the pagans would try and do back in ancient times. That's what that is. And here, here's what else faith isn't. Faith isn't a formula. Faith isn't something that you've got to try and figure out. Like there's a secret code to crack. And if you do everything just right and, and you get the right amount of uh, this and the right amount of that and you, you attend for long enough and you listen to enough sermons and you pray for long enough and you read enough scriptures and you give enough in the offering. And if you do all these things in just the right balance in the formula, then all of a sudden you unlock this magic portal to where God starts doing the things in your life that you think you want him to be doing. That's not faith either. Faith isn't something that you figure out and unlock some kind of hidden formula. And the writer of Hebrews gives us the definition of faith. And we brushed by this four or five weeks ago. But the interesting thing is, is that most of you have heard preachers talk about this. And the goal of the writer of Hebrews, when they were writing this, the goal was to simplify the concept of what faith was, to make it clear, to make it understandable. But when a whole lot of pastors get done talking about this passage, it seems to be a whole lot more complicated and a whole lot more unclear. So the writer tells us faith is simple, but faith is not the reason that we follow Jesus. See, we get that reversed sometimes. Here's what's written. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Now, we're a half a sentence in and the writer has already introduced other words that we have to figure out, that we have to get definitions for. Introduces this word, hope. Okay, well, what, what, what is hope? Here's what hope is. Hope is wanting something to be with no guarantee that it will ever actually be. Wanting something to be with no guarantee that it'll ever actually be. For example, probably all of you Hope you get a raise fairly soon. No guarantee, but you hope it, right? Many people growing up hope to be married one day. No guarantee that'll happen, but you hope. When I was a kid in church, here was my great hope in church. You ready for my big religious hope? Every Sunday, my great hope was that we would go out to eat for lunch after church. <laughs> That was my big hope. And so every time service ended when I was a kid, I would just, I would try and figure out what things could I do to influence my parents in that direction? What, if I, was I just certain good enough? I dropped certain hints. What could I do? What could I do to make it happen? So faith happens or faith becomes reality when hope, when hope moves to confidence that something is gonna be so that it is going to happen. But that leads us to another question. What has to happen for hope to become confidence? What has to take place within it? What has to happen around us so that we can have confidence that the thing before we were just hoping in actually is going to happen? So then the writer, to make sure we're on the same page, the writer kind of writes the same statement over again in a different way. He said, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So you're thinking, okay, okay, all right, all right. I, I believe what you're saying, but how do we get from hope to assurance? What has to happen there? And the answer is so simple that the writer of Hebrews doesn't even put it in there. 
Because the writer assumes, the answer is so obvious, assumes that everybody knows what the answer is. So let me help you try and surface the answer for yourself. Okay, so everybody hopes they get a raise, right? What has to happen for you to go from hoping you're getting a raise to being confident you're getting a raise? For most of you, the answer is, your boss says, you're getting a raise. And once the boss says you're getting a raise, you don't go home then and say to whoever you go home to, oh man, I hope I get a raise. No, 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 no. You say, I'm getting a raise. You now have confidence in it because your boss or someone in authority who can make it happen has said, this is going to happen, right? And so it switches. I was able to have faith as a kid. I was able to go from hope for lunch to confidence in lunch when my parents said, we're going out to lunch. The ones who could make it happen, the ones who had the ability, the ones who controlled the situation, as soon as they said, yes, this is happening, it transitions from hope to faith. Hope to faith. Now that seems so simple. And I don't know why over the years and over the decades of teaching and Christianity and the way things have worked, I don't know how we've made it so complicated and how we've gotten so many other things wrapped up in it. But this is one of the things that has caused people to either walk away from or never consider Christianity in the first, first place. So here's what it is. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do not just what we want him to do, but what he says he will do. Now, this is important because we do not believe in God because of faith. And we don't believe that God keeps his promises because of faith. That's not the reason. Faith is confidence that God is going to keep his promises. And we have that confidence because of evidence in God's history and track record of keeping his promises. Writer of Hebrews keeps going. This is what the ancients were commended for. And so then he launches into this whole list of listing these people who were pillars of the faith and the things that they did. And he kind of gives a little synopsis of each of their stories. And at the beginning, he starts each section when he starts a new person. And he starts out with the phrase um, in front of it. He starts out with the phrase that um, <clears throat> says, by faith. And then he'll list the person's name and tell what they did. By faith, by faith, by faith. And each of the people that he brings up had been given a promise or an instruction from God. And they lived as if God was going to keep that promise that he was gonna come through on it. And that is what faith is. One of the people that, that the writer mentions is Abraham. How, how many of you have heard of Abraham? Let me see, show of hands, show of hands. All right, yeah, Abraham, right? And, and Abraham, um, he left home, left everything he knew because God said, hey, I want you to leave. And here's what I'm gonna promise you. I'm gonna show you someplace new. I'm gonna show you someplace new. So Abraham believed God because God said he would and he acted on it in faith and he left. And that's what faith is. Faith is not coming up with some idea and then saying, hey God, here's my idea, make it happen. 
That's not faith. And in fact, depending on the ideas that you come up with, that's stupidity. Because some of us come up with some really bad ideas and then expect God to bail us out when they don't work and expect him to just kind of bring all things together, right? And that somehow through all things, God can do great things. And so we try and manipulate God into these things and these these circumstances. That's not what faith is. Now, about 2000 years before Jesus showed up is when Abraham was going to, he makes another promise to Abraham. This is 2000 years before Jesus. Here's the promise that he makes. In Genesis, we find that God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. Okay, so pause. Let me ask a question. And I promise you, this is not a trick question. Did Abraham eventually become a nation? It's not a trick question. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. In fact, he became several nations actually. And so, you know, you look at that and God said, I will make you a great nation. Check, God fulfilled that promise. In fact, I bet you can't name any other person in history who in and of themselves became a nation. So that was a pretty big promise that God made right there. Promise kept, check, okay. But that's not it, that's not it. He keeps going with this promise. I'll make you a great nation and we'll bless you. I'm reading that, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm thinking if you became a nation, right, you're pretty blessed, right? Somebody comes up, well, what'd you accomplish in life? Well, I became a nation. Oh, good, good. That seems like a pretty blessed kind of thing to do, right? He keeps going. He says this. This is an amazing promise. I will make your name great. Listen, this is why just a second ago, I asked for a show of hands. Because 4,000 years ago, God was talking to a guy in a desert and said, I'm gonna make your name great. And here we are 4,000 years later, halfway around the globe, and all of you know his name. You've heard of him. I'd say that's making a name pretty great. Promise kept, check. And listen, listen, that's pretty cool, but that's not even the big one. That's not even the great promise. He keeps going. And you will be a blessing. To which you thought, okay, it was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, well, I'm gonna promise you. Let me put it a different way. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this was a particularly complicated promise because at the time of Abraham, it didn't make sense. People didn't bless other people. Tribes didn't bless other tribes. Nations did not bless other nations. In fact, the the law of the day, the way that things ran then was no, you did not bless your neighbors and other nations. No, you conquered your neighbors and other nations and you pillaged other nations and you enslaved other nations and you took wealth and value from other nations so that then you yourself could be wealthy and have many valuables. That was the way the world worked back then. That was the way nations interacted. That's how you treated your neighbors. But God said to Abraham, no, 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 no. I'm going to do something new through you, Abraham. I'm gonna make you a nation and your nation is going to bless the entire earth. 
And sure enough, through that nation, a couple thousand years later, the person of Jesus shows up and the promise is fulfilled. That's a big promise, kept. Now, back, back to what the writers of Hebrews was saying. And, and if you go through and read this chapter, I encourage you to do that this week. There, there's some, it brings up some other really cool stories. Talking about Gideon, man, Gideon's story. Gideon, Gideon was like not the original 300. <laughs> like, not a lot. I mean, he didn't take his 300 guys and like, you know, stop a gap and, you know, and he, his was bigger than that. As he took his 300 guys and went in. Now he had a lot more than that to start. And God was like, no, 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 no. You have too many guys. He's like, okay, okay, God. <clears throat> the enemy's got approximately 120,000 soldiers there. H- how many do I need? 300. Mm. We've got a, <laughs> there's a, Something's wrong with our line of communication here, God. I, I, I thought you said 300, and I did. And Gideon takes us 300 men, and he flushes out the opposing army. Listen, that's faith. Had God not told Gideon to do it, and Gideon woke up one morning and said, gosh, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, I'm gonna leave most of you here and I'm going to take 300 of us and we're going to go up against the 120,000. God will come through. No, 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 no. That's the stupidity I mentioned earlier. And there's a whole list of, you should go through and see who he's talking about and then go back and find their story. Incredible reading. Incre- incredible, incredible. But back, back, to, back to what he's saying about all of them. Verse 13 in Hebrews 11, he says, all of these people, it is all the ones that he's talked about and listed about. We're still living by faith when they died. They all believed God was gonna keep his promise, do what he said that he was gonna do. And every single one of them lived like they actually believed it. And their lives reflected that they actually believed it. Now, switching gears. Nobody who the, writers of Hebrews, who the writer of Hebrews was talking about within those stories in fact, almost nobody that you find in any of the scriptures anywhere whatsoever thought that God could be faithed into doing something. They didn't think that God could be manipulated. They didn't think that you could force God's hand and make him do something that he wasn't going to do. They didn't think that. God was God and God was to be worshiped. And that was the meaning of faith. So fast forward from Abraham to when Jesus was on the earth, right? And he and his guys are hanging out and a man who was covered in leprosy approaches him. And we don't really have a public leprosy like uh, equivalent in our culture. And when certain people come walking up that they're visibly diseased and everybody's like, oh, and you got to keep your distance and This guy covered in leprosy shows up in a public place. And this was a man, once you got that disease, you've lost everything. You've lost family. You've lost friends. You've lost your culture. You're not allowed to be a part of the religious system, which is the entire system, which means you've lost God. You've lost everything. When you show up and you get anywhere near people, 
You have to warn them that you're there so that they can stay away from you. It's a very isolated experience. And so the courage that it took for this man to show up in public and approach Jesus, man, it was a big deal. And so he approaches Jesus and he falls down at Jesus's feet. And the statement that he makes to Jesus is one of the most amazing examples of what our faith should look like. It's incredible. And I love this verse. Here's what he says. He falls down at the feet of Jesus. Everybody's looking and scared. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're not, Lord, I believe you will. 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 Not my friends are back home praying and they believe you're going to, and they just know it deep down in their soul. And they're believing it and believing it and believing it and believing it. And not we believe, we believe. To approach it like that of, I know you will. That's not faith, that's presumption. You're presuming on God. But this guy says, no, Lord, I have perfect faith that you can and that if you're willing, you'll make it happen. And now you gotta ask yourself a question. Why did this guy think this way? Why did this guy have the idea that if Jesus was willing, Jesus could heal him? And the answer is because he knew Jesus had healed other people. He'd probably been around. He'd probably heard the stories of people who Jesus had healed. And so he did not go to Jesus because of faith in Jesus. He went to Jesus because of the evidence because of what Jesus had done and because he was confident that Jesus could, not that he would, but that he could do the same thing for him. And I love the way Jesus responds. Verse three, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. This drove the religious leaders crazy because as soon as Jesus touched, they weren't even worried about like, Okay, he could get the disease and that would be bad. No, 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 no. It was all about the system for them. Because as soon as Jesus touched him, Jesus was unclean. Which then cut him off from all of the religious stuff and the access to God and all of that. But Jesus made a habit of touching diseased people and not catching their disease. In fact, quite the opposite. As he would touch people, their disease would leave. He looks at him and he says, I am willing. And when I read that, sometimes I just get overwhelmed because you, it's almost impossible to put yourself in the position of that man. As Jesus reached out and physically touched him, that was probably the first time he had been touched physically in years. And for Jesus to touch him and say, not only do you not repulse or scare me, but I am willing. In other words, Jesus looks at him and says, this is the type of faith that I am looking for. Not faith that you know I will, but faith that you know that I can. That's what faith is. Now, the problem is, 
when we get down to all of this, the problem is, is that most of us were taught that our faith is what causes God to do things. And if the things didn't happen, it was because we didn't have enough faith or we didn't believe enough. And I'll tell you why Christians resist this simple definition of faith. And not just, not just Christians like, oh, people that go to church and don't understand this. No, no, no. I mean, like as a whole, I mean, pastors and religious leaders and like why Christianity as a whole tends to resist this definition and this idea and this view of faith is because it leaves God in control, not us. And if there's one thing that's true about us, it's we like to be in control. And a lot of times we try and convince other people and maybe even ourselves that we're not in control. And so we do things that look like we're giving up control. But if you really look at it, we're still the ones pulling the strings. We're still the ones dictating the action and kind of making sure things go the way we think that they should go. So I've got good news. You're not in control. God's in control. He's the one. And, and I am so glad. Can I tell you? I am so glad that I am not in control. Because I am so glad that God did not answer my 16 year old prayers because I thought I knew what I wanted for life when I was 16. And I was adamant with my prayers, I was specific with my prayers. God did not answer those prayers. I'm glad. I'm glad He didn't now. But at the same time, the reason that some people walk away from God that some people walk away from Christianity is because even though God didn't answer my ridiculous prayers from when I was 16, there are people who have some very real, very legitimate prayers. And God doesn't answer them. And he doesn't show up the way that he thinks that he should show up. And the problem with the definition of faith being like, well, if I faith enough, God will do it is that that leaves the control on us. And, we, and when we have the control, we end up being like the pagans of, of the old days where we try and do the things and we try and make it happen and we try and force the hand. And then when God doesn't answer our prayers and God doesn't come through and things don't work out the way we thought they would work out and things don't work out the way our Sunday school teachers told us they were gonna work out and God doesn't respond the way we were told he would respond if we did all the things that would cause God to respond, we began to lose our faith. But listen, that faith is based on the wrong thing to begin with. That's not the faith you should be having. And so if you're in that position, I'm glad you need to lose that faith because that's not what it is. Now, here's why this is such a big deal. This is such a big deal because an entire generation in our country is abandoning Christianity and faith and the church. And the reason that so much of it is happening is because the church is signing God's name to promises that he never made and promising things that'll happen that God never said he was going to do. And so when they don't happen, it leaves people wondering, well, where's God? We were told this was gonna happen. And so no wonder their faith begins to fall apart. No wonder they don't buy into it anymore. No wonder the whole thing crumbles and you can't maintain faith in God because we were taught to hold God accountable for things God never said that he would do. And so if maybe you grew up with the, the vending machine approach to God, 
in your faith. That is, if you put in enough prayer and you went to enough camps and enough services and did enough good deeds and read enough Bible verses, enough volunteering and giving, and you just kept putting in and in and in, that eventually you would put in enough that you could hit your button of what you wanted and God would pop out with it. Or maybe, maybe you were raised with the kind of faith that it's like, okay, bad things don't happen to good people. And so if bad things are happening to you, then you're not being good enough. And it's all about you, 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 you. Of course that's gonna fall apart. Because that's not what faith is. God didn't promise any of those things. God never promised life would be good. We've been told that that's the case. God never promised that. You look at all of his followers in the first century. I mean, you can get into semantics about, well, what's good? I, don't know. I mean, good by like our definition of what we want our life to be good. Uh-uh. It wasn't a good life. It was a hard life. It was a dangerous life. It was an end in death for what you believe kind of life. Things didn't work out. But yet here we are. But here's the incredible news. And here's what I want to leave you with. As we wrap this up, the incredible news is, is that God, because he wanted to be clear about how he felt about us, God did not demonstrate his love for us and his concern for us. He did not demonstrate that through promising that bad things would never happen. He didn't demonstrate his love and concern for us by promising that every illness would be healed if we pray just right. He didn't demonstrate his love and concern by promising a flawless book that we can go to and look at and find all the answers immediately every time and it'll always work out. He didn't do that. God's promise is a whole lot better than those things. What God did to show his love and concern for us was a whole lot better than those things that we look for. The apostle Paul who took it on himself at the beginning of the movement of Jesus, took it upon himself to kind of quash it and to kill it out and to be done with it, only to eventually become a part of it himself, give us two thirds of the New Testament. Here's, here's how he writes, how God showed his love for us. But God demonstrates, that is he did something to show, put on a show, a demonstration, his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, and the reason this is in the present tense for Paul is because he was alive when Jesus was crucified. And so Paul's saying, while I was in the middle of all my junk, while I was doing these things, while I was not honoring God, while that was going on, while I was still sinning, or as he's writing it to you, while you were still a sinner, well, yeah, but wait a minute. I'm not still a sinner because like I wasn't around back then. So I couldn't have been sinning. So I couldn't still be a sinner. Oh, no, no, no. God knew you were coming. He knew you'd be here and he knew what you'd do. And in the midst of knowing that he went ahead and sent his son anyway. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is the point. The trustworthiness of God was settled at the cross. If nothing else ever happens good, again, in our direction from God, doesn't matter. The cross settled the trustworthiness of God. 
It was. It, our, the, God's trustworthiness is not settled in some answered prayer that we pray at some time in our life. His trustworthiness is not settled by us being able to find him in circumstances and him coming through the way that we think that he should come through. No, his trustworthiness was settled when he sent Jesus to our side of the frame that no matter all of the other things that we can't figure out and we wonder about, we don't have to wonder about God and how he feels about us. But many of us have lost focus of that. Many of us have not made Jesus the focus. He may still be in the frame way down in the corner. And if we look for him, he's there and we can kind of get through it. But it's not, it's, it's not the focus. It's not there. And the writer of Hebrews invites us back. Come on, reconsider, fix your eyes on Jesus. Everything else is peripheral. Everything else, he's the center. He is God keeping his promise, which is why you can have faith. There will be a lot of things that you will never know, but you can know how God feels about you. So here's the question. Here's the question. What do you wonder? What is it about God and your faith that may not be working and may not be fitting and may not be operating right? And it just seems to be crumbling and falling apart. What is that based on? What is your frame of reference? How are you filtering that? Are you focusing on things that are peripheral things? And somehow Jesus is not the center of what you view. There will always be things that you wonder about. But through God, keeping his promise through the person of Jesus, we don't have to wonder about him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for any of us that find ourselves being challenged with this idea of faith, who find ourselves struggling with understanding how it works, if it works, where we have questions about you and maybe even to the point of, are you really you? Are you really out there? Is any of this actually legit? Lord, I pray that this week, God, that you start to bring back into focus what you did through your son and the person of Jesus. That God, as we consider some of the things that are causing us to maybe question our faith or it's beginning to crumble or deteriorate, that God, we look into that, not look away and just pretend everything's okay, but God, we engage the doubt, engage the questions and figure out why is it crumbling? What have we based that faith on? What is it fixed to? God, can you please help us get back to Jesus as the center, as the person that you put on our side of our framework to be able to view and understand the world. Lord, I thank you for everything you did, the lengths you went to, to bring us into relationship with you, to allow us to understand how you feel about us. Lord, let us now, because of your actions, place our faith in you based on who you are and that you will do what you say you will do. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. And I hope that all of you have a happy, happy Mother's Day.
It's a beautiful